Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you. Today, I want to talk about freedom. And freedom is something that's become a hot topic. Maybe it's always been a hot topic, but certainly something we've been dealing with over the last couple of years. Uh, one reason is because, obviously, we have had less freedom in certain ways than we have before. There, and that's really like all around the world. We've had less freedoms. There are things that we have not been able to do, that we've been restricted from doing, that we've had to question whether or not we can do or should do. There's times where we've had to stay home from things, avoid things, not be in crowds, uh, not go to certain events, all sorts of different things that have restricted our freedom. And not only that, but to just make things a little bit more intense is that, of course, not everybody agrees with to what level we should be restricting our freedoms and who should be telling us what we can do and what we can't do. And so uh, there's argument about that and there's disagreement about that. There's different ways that people think that they uh, should and, and could express their freedom or ways that they shouldn't and couldn't express their freedom at this point in time. Uh, we're coming to a place, even this week here in Ontario, where uh, some of the restrictions from our government, at least, have been lifted. Uh, and that gives us a certain amount of freedom. We're actually going to be coming into seasons where we have certain freedoms to do things, whether that's capacity limits at church or the movies or wherever else you might go. Uh, probably in, in a few weeks or a month or so, it sounds like uh, dealing with whether or not you have to wear a mask, which is something uh, that most of us, many of us didn't think about before and now have gotten so used to, or maybe we've just been really frustrated. And again, why can't I go anywhere if I don't have a mask? We've seen uh, in, in recent months that while some of us think we, we need to have certain restrictions on our freedom, that others of us have really got to a place of frustration with that. We've seen uh, convoys and protests against uh, certain restrictions. You can't tell, tell me what to do. And so I'm going to protest and it's my right and my freedom to do that. And then we've seen uh, at least some of those people uh, blocking border crossings or parts of cities. And then other people saying, well, now you're restricting my freedom to, to carry out business or to go certain places or to drive through my city or to live in whatever it is. But we've seen that these arguments uh, have become in some ways very intense amongst people. And some social commentators have noted that in the Western postmodern world, in our culture very much, freedom has become one of, if not the only remaining moral imperative. It is our most elevated value, that of freedom. And I think if you think about that, you probably agree. Culturally speaking, not just me as an individual, you as an individual, but culturally speaking, the way that we figure out uh, what's our morality, how do we decide what, what we do or don't do, freedom in North America, in, in our time and place, has become one of the ways primarily that people operate in their lives. I am free to be me, I'm free to decide who I am, I'm free to decide what I do, I'm free to live my life. I, I have this, this, this uh, inherent uh, will of self-assertion. That is, my life is my own, and I am, I am free. Now, we might not all agree on how to express that freedom, but it is very much the undercurrent, uh, the, sort of the, the baseline philosophical thought of much of our culture. Think about this. You ever seen the movie Frozen? That's a few years old, but in my house right now, Frozen is like the most played movie. And do you remember, uh, do you remember the song? If you remember it, and apologize if I'm now putting this back in your head and you'll never get it out of your head. That Let It Go song, Let It Go, Let It Go. I, honestly, I, like, I, I go to sleep and it's in my head. I wake up and it's in my head. Let it, let it go. Yes, just let it go if I could. If only I could. 
Here's a line from that song. And as you hear it, just, just ask yourself, isn't this very much the, the baseline thinking for so many of us? One of the main characters sings, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Don't tell me what to do. I will decide what I should do. I will decide on my identity. I will decide how to build my life. I will decide how to figure out things on my own. No rules, no restrictions, no constraints should be put on me. Many of us have come to think that freedom is this. The absence of all constraint and restraint. Self-assertion. I do what I can do. I do what I want to do. And there's no limits. I'm free. Perhaps uh, we would put a little caveat in there for many of us. Because we know, well, I still got to live in society. Figure that out. Some of us will say, I am free to do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody else. Put that little, just, okay, we're going to talk about that today. I, today, what I want to talk about is if that's our definition of freedom, the lack of or absence of constraints or restraints externally put onto us, I want to argue today, not that you should reject that, but that that is actually an impossible way to live. That definition of freedom, and by the way, I will say, freedom is an amazing thing, and I'm going to talk about what I think real true freedom is today. But if our definition of freedom is no restraints and no constraints, I can assert myself, I can do what I want to do, there's no limits, that that's actually an impossible way to live. It doesn't make sense. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We've been working through the book of Galatians. And uh, Galatians 5, verse 1 says this. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. So this is where uh, most people who are in our culture, just like us, me, you, we read a text like that, we read a verse like that, and we say, praise God, hallelujah, we have been set free, freedom, we live freely, we should live free. it's just, nobody's going to argue with that in our culture. Paul actually had to come from the opposite direction. He's coming to a place where he's telling people, you've been living under the law, and the law has been enslaving you in certain ways. We've, we've talked so much about that throughout the, the book of Galatians. He's actually trying to convince them that you should be free of the law. So they come from the different direction that most of us come from, which is... Don't tell me what to do. I'm free to do what I want to do and decide what my life is all about. But what I really want us to look at is, what is Paul's definition? What is Jesus' definition of freedom? What is the freedom that God has for us? What really liberates us, what really sets us free in a way that actually works in our lives and actually makes some sense? So granted, the great value of our culture places on freedom. And by the way, I'm not arguing against free. Like when I say this, I'm not going, and we shouldn't have freedom. Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. And I'm very thankful for the freedoms that we've had in Canada compared to so many parts of the world. I mean, we started talking about, it's always about COVID this, COVID that, but uh, for a little bit of perspective, think about today, the people in Ukraine, what freedom looks like, it doesn't look like for them. And that's just an interesting thought. I don't know if, if that's, you know, as we think through what does freedom look for us and we're dealing with protocols and who's telling me what to do to just think of people of Ukraine today. But given the fact that freedom is a good thing, that Christ has set us free, I want to talk about what that uh, looks like, what that definition might be. 
So what is real freedom? Freedom, as I said, cannot be the ability to do whatever I want with no restraints or constraints, and I will share with you two reasons why if you follow me. Number one is because my desires, my desires, your desires as an individual, conflict one another. Which is to say, if we believe that freedom is, I want to do what I want to do, we need to acknowledge that freedom is much more complicated than that. Because I have desires that conflict with other desires that I have. Which means, I just can't say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Because life is all about, there are all these decisions along the way, where I have to decide what I really truly want. And there are times where I want this and I want this, but I just can't have both. Logically, they can't exist together. I have to decide which freedoms I want to choose and which ones I want to give up. So for example, uh, let's say for example that I love to, I love to eat. Anybody out there love to eat? And not, oh, oh, there is a few of you. And not just, and not just, oh, I like to eat, you know, a healthy little snack here and there. But like, I like to eat the salty foods. I like to eat the rich desserts. I like to eat the stuff that, that tastes so good. I like to indulge in fast food. And not just once in a while, but whenever I can get it. And let's say this, that it's not just that I like to eat. I mean, we all like to eat. But it's not just that I enjoy to eat, I enjoy the taste of certain foods, though I do. But let's say that it's also a huge part of my social life. This is how I connect with people. We go out to restaurants, we go for dessert, we have people in our house, and we eat these wonderful, beautiful foods. And, you know, when I eat these foods, perhaps uh, I'm not super likely to, to want to exercise. In fact, I like to exercise my freedom to be a bit of a couch potato, especially after I've eaten a lot, you know, you guys get that. Now, it could be that I have the right to choose exactly what, do I, what I want to eat, when I want to eat it. I'm an adult, and I can do whatever I want to do, but there might be a day where I go to the doctor. And she looks at me and says, I've run your blood work, and, you know, we've done all the tests, and, and we've looked at your, your whole, you know, your health and where you're at, your, your blood pressure and, and your sugar levels and, and your cholesterol, and we've taken everything into consideration. And, and, and listen, I think you need to change your, your diet. And I say, get real. I'm free to eat whatever I want to eat. She might say to me, yeah, you are free to eat whatever you eat. You're an adult. You make money, you can spend it on what you want, you can, you can eat whatever you want. But what I'd like to tell you is all the evidence suggests that if you continue to live this lifestyle and eat these things and, and you're not really exercising, then you're, you're going to sacrifice the freedom to live a longer and healthier life. You're going to sacrifice the ability to do certain things in your life, physically speaking. Now, I will sit there and have two choices to, to look at. I have the freedom to eat whatever I want to eat and move as little as I want to move. But if I want the freedom to live a longer, healthier life, if I want the freedom to be able to do more with my body, if I, if I want the freedom to, to, to be able to accomplish certain things, physically speaking, I'm going to have to think about whether or not I curb my freedom to eat whatever I want. Now, you could apply that, you know, it's a bit of a, we could apply that in a whole number of different phases of our lives, right? All that to say is, it's just too simplistic to say, freedom means no constraints, no restraints, I can do whatever I want to do. We have to acknowledge, number one, that even, in a, even if it's totally up to you and you can do whatever you want to do, you are a, an autonomous individual in 2022 and you can do whatever you want to do, even if that's all true, it's more complicated than just saying, I get to do whatever I want because we all have desires that compete against each other, which means 
we just have to factor in the fact that there's going to be some form of constraints or restraints in order to select for the greater freedoms against the lesser freedoms. Number two, reason why freedom can't just be about a lack of constraints or restraints, because my freedom conflicts with your freedom. So it's one thing to say that, that I'm internally conflicted at some points, because uh, you could say, well, yeah, but you're still in charge, you're still, you're still, you know, you still get to decide what your greatest freedoms are. Okay, true, but my freedom will infringe upon your freedom, and I think that this is uh, something that we vastly underestimate. So when we say, listen, we're all free, we can do whatever we want to do, as long as we don't hurt somebody else, I think we vastly underestimated how our actions affect other people affect the world around us. That we actually believe that I can live in my own little corner and my actions uh, don't really directly or indirectly affect other people. This is just me. My morality is me. As long as I don't hurt you, as long as I don't directly do something that causes you some kind of pain or loss or whatever it is, I, I think we have, we have just drastically, drastically underestimated the fact that everything that we do has an impact on the world around us, on the people around us on the closest people to us, the people that we work with, the people that we live around, uh, our society in general. Again, we're so very individualistic in, in today's Western world. But to just understand and realize that whether it's directly or indirectly, the way that I live my life contributes to the world around me. Uh, we could think of all kinds of different things. We could think of uh, climate change, for example, and, and just realize, hey, maybe we're all in this together and the way that we treat our environment. It's just not about what I think is, is good and my freedom. It's about all of us figuring out what that looks like. I think that a, a virus that has been as transmissible as COVID over the last couple of years hopefully has taught us that, that even if we disagree on exactly all the, the ins and outs of it, we agree that what I do has affected what you do, what people across the globe do has affected us here in Canada and vice versa and all around, that we can't just imagine that we are autonomous individuals and we can just decide that my life will mean something for me without affecting everybody else. And the more intimate relationship that you're in, the more I think it becomes obvious that you have to acknowledge that that is the case. So get married. As an individual, you're free, right? You're free. You spend your money however you want to spend your money. You want to go away this weekend? Oh, decide on Friday afternoon, pack up, go away for the, for the weekend. No big deal. Do whatever you want to do. You want to sleep late? Sleep late. You want to go to bed late? Go to bed late. You want to go to bed early? Go to bed early. doesn't matter. You're free. No limits, no constraints, no restraints. And then get married and just see how long it takes for that to break down. <laughs> hey, honey, where are you? I went away for the weekend. You didn't talk to me about it? No. Why? I'm free. <laughs> okay, buddy. Hey, I checked the bank account. Where's all our money? I spent it. On what? A uh, bunch of sports collectibles. Why? I'm free! <laughs> you are not free. <laughs> if we want to live with one another, we have to realize that now my desires will conflict not only with my own desires, but now my freedom affects your freedom. And I think we have to be a little bit more honest about how, how really deeply that permeates in marriage. If you want to be married, if you want to be a parent, if you want to be in any type of long-term relationship, if you want to have deep friendships, if you want to have a job where you work with other people, if you want to live in society, at any level, this is just true, that my freedoms will infringe on your freedoms. 
And so if I want to live within a community, if I want to have any relationships, and we all do, we all need to, we just have to acknowledge that and realize I can't just live unrestrained with no constraints and pretend that I could actually pull that off without impacting somebody else. And oftentimes, uh, if we're not careful, negatively impacting someone else. If we go a little bit deeper and say, if my freedom infringes or supersedes your freedom, and I insist upon that, and I continue to insist upon that, what do we call that? We might call it privilege. My freedom is more important than your freedom, and I get to do certain things and be certain things that somebody else doesn't get to be or do based on whatever factors. Or on a deeper level, we might call it oppression. I always get to do what I want to do, what I think is right, how I think the world should be. Oh, and your say doesn't matter. You don't get freedom. You can see how that works on, on grand scales in very horrific ways throughout the history of the world. My freedom at the expense of others' freedoms. So we read this, this short verse. Oh, Christ has truly set us free. And we have to ask, what does it look like to really be set free? Because he says, make sure you don't go back to slavery. Make sure, for, for his readers, you don't go back to the law and enslave yourself. Jesus has set us free. Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, has come to set us free. God wants for us freedom. Now we have to ask, what does freedom mean? And if it can't mean that I just simply do whatever I want to do, no restraints, no constraints, what does it mean? Freedom comes from strategically giving up some liberties in order to gain others. Does that make sense based on what I've just said? It doesn't mean there's no restraints. It means how do I strategically select which liberties I say, I, I am going to self-restrain, I am going to say I don't need to exercise that liberty, that freedom, in order to gain what truly sets us free. That's what I'd like to explore. How do we build a framework for making decisions that really sets us free, really truly sets us free, the way that we've been designed, who we are, how we operate as human beings in a world where we are relationally connected? How do we really choose freedom? Jesus talked about this, and in John chapter 8, interesting, so remember, Paul was talking about the law as putting people into slavery. So here's... Uh, his contemporaries, the people he grew up with, the, the education he had, the religion he was part of as a Jewish man and saying, we've taken the law of God and it has become something that has enslaved us because we, we, we've created this system where we think our relationship is all predicated on uh, the law and how we're doing with the law, which means you start to see God this way. If God is just rule giver, law giver, that's it. Then if I do well, we start to believe that God owes me something. God should reward me for that. If I don't do so well, if I fail, God should punish me. What we have there, that law, if the law, if that's the ultimate for us, the ultimate paradigm, Paul argues that that's slavery. You're just seeing God as primarily your boss, or maybe worse, your master, and you are the slave. Do what you're told, and you get rewarded. And if you don't, you get punished. And he says, that's just not good enough for us. Jesus, when he talked about uh, being a slave, he took it in a slightly different direction. Well, he talks a lot about uh, the law as well and how that works and a, a deeper spirituality. He says something that's a bit of a different direction, but it's got a similar uh, feel to it as what Paul said. So this is John chapter 8. And Jesus is interacting again with some people who would have been very, uh, very religious. And Jesus, man, he, he, he had the very religious people on one side that were really stuck in their religion and exactly how their religion worked. 
And then he had the people on the other side who was always scandalous, the people who seemed to live with no law whatever. And Jesus seemed very comfortable with those people. He spent a lot of time with the people that the religious people say, oh, they have no law. So on the one side, you have uh, the, the law followers. On the other side, you have people who are maybe licentious. That is, we have no laws or we don't follow the laws or we can't follow the laws, whatever it might be. Anyway, here what Jesus says in John 8, verse 34, he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So where Paul said you're stuck under the law, Jesus was talking here and saying, uh, I think, the ultimate form of slavery is anybody who's a slave to sin. Slave becomes, or sin becomes a master and you become its slave. He says a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abram. So uh, the debates that Paul was dealing with were debates Jesus had dealt with too. People had said, we are children of promise, going back to Abraham. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we are free. God has set us free. Um, and, and this is who we are. We are not slaves. And Jesus comes and says, you're talking about your ancestry. You're talking about all these other external things that you're saying are making you who you are. But if you are under sin, when you sin, you're a slave to sin. So yes, I realize that you're descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. That doesn't sound free. It doesn't sound like you're, you're living out who you ought to be. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father. Now he talks about intimacy. Again, a theme that we talked about the last couple of weeks with Paul uh, as Jesus uh, had talked uh, about God as his father, Abba, that we could, the spirit of God uh, prompts us to call out to God, Abba, Father. We have intimacy now, not as a, as our ma- just as our master, but as our father. But you are following the advice of your father. And he gets uh, a little bit confrontational here. Your father, he's saying, is not, is not God, although it ought to be. For Jesus, slavery to sin is the ultimate form of slavery. I think the logic goes like this. If there's a God, if there is a God, which means that human beings are not cosmic accidents, that there's actually some form of design to the universe and to our lives, then we would find our ultimate freedom by strategically giving up what is destructive in that paradigm to gain the freedoms that help us flourish. Sin is what is destructive. Sin is what goes against the created order of who we are and how the universe works. If God has created us, if there's a certain amount of design, and you might not even believe that yet, you might not even agree, but if there is a God who has created us on purpose in a certain way, then freedom for us would be living according to our design. So think of a fish swimming around. And the fish goes, I would like to be free to live on land. And so you said, okay. And you scooped up the fish and you threw them on land. And the fish found out that it could not breathe on land. It needed to be in water. We asked the question, what is true freedom for that fish? I am my own. I want to live on land. Mm. But you were designed to live in water. That's where you're going to flourish. That, that, that's where everything that you've created to be works and where you can really be who you are. It's not just you deciding what you want to do, your desires, but you living out your design. And Jesus is saying sin, the ultimate form of slavery, is when you go against who God's created you to be. 
And so we think about what does it look like to strategically give up certain constraints or certain freedoms and to accept others? Well, how do we do that? I think we start by asking ourselves, who is it that God has created us to be? How can we decide which freedoms to give up and which ones to enjoy? We go back to Paul. Paul says, you've been set free, so don't go back to the law. So the framework is not, uh, here's just a bunch of, of rules, and they will tell us whether or not we're doing good or doing bad, whether or not God loves us or God doesn't love us, whether he should uh, give us uh, rewards or punishment, but instead a new paradigm. Listen to what Paul says. So back in Galatians 5, now I've skipped down to verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't lose your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature or your flesh. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So that little phrase, uh, your sinful nature, it's in Greek, it's the word sarks. It means uh, oftentimes it's translated literally uh, flesh can mean at least three things. Sometimes flesh means like our physical flesh, like, you know, our muscles, our skin, uh, even our bodies. Sometimes it can mean humanity as a whole. So we are people, we're, we're fleshed. And so collectively we are sarks, we are flesh. Here it means something like this, our natural selfishness, which finds expression in the disregard of other people's rights and interests. That's from the Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges. Or, self, or here, this translation, I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation, uh, says our, our sinful nature. So that part of us that says, my life is mine and I can do whatever I want. I'm free to be just me in such a way that could hurt other people. But it's this selfishness that says freedom is all about just me, what I want to do. No matter how it might uh, impact other people. Paul says in comparison to that, so you've been set free and I don't want you to go back. So how do we go forward? Here's the comparison. Your flesh, your sinful nature, that selfishness that says my life is all about me and I can do whatever I want to do even if it's destructive towards myself or other people. Instead, the comparison is to love your neighbor as yourself. I would argue what he's hitting upon here is saying that's what you were designed to do. You were designed by love for love. Isn't that beautiful? To be loved. I'm making personal decisions about me. Where do I make, what well do I draw off of? That I am loved, that I am beloved, God's beloved son or daughter. That he created me, cares for me, provides for me. That I am loved and that that love is who I am. And so now I love other people. And he says, listen, if we ever really understood the law, Jesus was clear on this. If we understood what all of that was supposed to build to, all of the rules, all of the, the details, all of the stuff that we can go deep into the scriptures on. What about this? What about this? What about this? Jesus says, we sum it up in this way. What's the fulfillment? What were we always getting to? to he says to love your neighbor. Jesus, in some places, he says to love God with everything that you are. Well, how do you do that? How does that live out? How is that freedom expressed? In love. And so it's got to pour out to other people. That, for Jesus and for Paul, is true freedom. That is what sets us free. Not the idea that I can do whatever I want to do. Because remember, it's not just this moral thing. I'm telling you, don't do what you want to do. No, 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 no. It's more complicated than that. Because you have desires that conflict against each other. So you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose. Don't listen to me on that. Just go live your life. You have to choose where to be restrained and constrained. It's just a fact. And then acknowledge, 
and now my, my freedom is going to conflict with your freedom. So if we want to live in a world where we actually have relationships with other people, where we build deep, good culture, where we have a spirituality that's more than just superficial, that actually gets into our hearts and changes how we live, we need to decide what's the loving thing to do. And if we, if we really are created to be loving beings, because God is love, and so love created us to love, then being loving people is what will set us free, ultimately speaking. So, question. Is your freedom more about me, or is your freedom more about we? And I get it. You can walk out of here, and you can go, it's about me. I'm free to do whatever I want. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain, there's a certain truth to that. What I want to get at, what I think Jesus is getting at and Paul is getting at, okay, you can go try that. I just don't think it's actually going to set you free. But what about, what if me became we? What's good for us? What decisions can I make that aren't just good for me, but are good for we? So my challenge is, because um, I think when we make this mental shift, we'll move from being focused on what we can't do to what we can do, right? So when freedom's all about just what I want to do, you might find that you've been frustrated, have you? I want to be free to live whatever lifestyle I want, but I can't afford it. So I'm not really free until I have more money. I want to be free until I get my way and I can tell everybody what to do at work, but I'm not the boss, so I can't do it. I want to be free from, from my parents telling me what to do, but I live under their roof. And so there are a certain amount of rules. There's a constraint that we feel. Again, I want to argue that to be free is not to throw off every constraint and restraint, but instead to choose the, the restraints and constraints that actually set us free. So here's my challenge to you. Choose an area of your life to experiment with serving, lover, ser serving others with love. So instead of, think about it for a second, my money. Well, what do you do with your money? Whatever you want to do, because you're free. Buy whatever you want to buy. Spend it on whatever you want to spend. Instead of saying, I am free to do whatever I want with my money, what if you asked wow, what would it look like for me to use what I have, my possessions, my money, in order to make the world a little bit of a better place? How could I express generosity? Will that set me more free than just trying to figure out how I could spend all of my money? We can think about COVID protocols, right? Because like I said, we're coming to a place where uh, at least some of these restrictions are starting to ease in Ontario. We're going to be able to do more things what would it look like for us to say, I'm not just ruled by what I want to do, but I'm ruled by what's best for all of us. And I understand that doesn't mean that things are all of a sudden just, oh, they're easy decisions and we're all going to agree. But what if our motivation was, when it comes to protocols, how do I serve others in love? Do you know something really sad? There's places, uh, you know, in the United States and other, other areas where uh, they've lifted mask mandates already. Um, and there are some people who, who, they're ready for that. They throw off the mask. Yes, this should have happened a long time ago. There's other people that say, I think it's still important and to protect other people or myself, I'm wearing a mask. And we're hearing reports of those people being bullied. And I'm sure that goes both ways, right? Because we disagree. How could you think? What if our framework became, it's not just about my personal choices, it's about how do I serve others in love, even when they disagree? Think about our sexual ethics for a second. This is deep in our culture, but our sexual ethics have become very much, I can do whatever I want to do as long as I don't hurt anybody else. I have no idea, practically speaking, how that works in the world of sex. What if 
our sexual ethics were more informed by how we serve others in love, real deep love that is committed to other people, rather than just, what do I want to do in the moment? You know, it's amazing. It's actually, it's, it's a, a pretty interesting study just to look at uh, how sexual ethics have changed in the last 50 or 60 years. Of course, when, when uh, birth control and protection became more uh, widely available and more effective, uh, there was, uh, for a lot of people, a distancing between what had always been true, which was sex and commitment go together. Because for a lot, of, a lot of the years, there was no, you know, there was very limited ways of, of making sure that that could be true. Because there weren't a lot of options. Now, when there were options for birth control uh, or from protecting yourself from infection or disease, there was this decoupling for a lot of people in our culture, our society, that I can just do what I want to do feel, as long as I don't hurt somebody else. It's many people how they think of sexual ethics. And as we've come down through a number of decades now since the sexual revolution, and we've seen that continue, and just think about uh, where we've taken that, that sex can be a very individualistic thing. Think of uh, how many people, uh, pornography, it's not a big deal. Everybody does it. It doesn't hurt anybody. Except studies are showing that it's very obvious that the pornography industry uh, is just, just packed with people who are being abused, sex trafficking. We have people who are finding out now that uh, they're addicted to pornography, that, that this is something that not just I'm choosing to do, but I can't choose not to do anymore. We're finding out that people are having a hard time to actually relate to another human being in a deep emotional and sexual way because they have now taken not just commitment, but even another person out of the sexual experience. It's just become whatever I want to access, whatever I want to watch. And you say, yeah, but we're free and it doesn't hurt anybody. And you say, I think we need to really rethink those things. So what if our sexual ethics, we thought about it and said, it's not just about what I want, what I feel good, what I can do, what somebody else will agree to, but actually to run it through a deeper filter that says, what, how do I actually lovingly serve other people, our society, our culture, uh, my partner, the person that I'm with? And really rethink if the, the individualistic selfishness thing is actually setting us free. If the only party in a loving relationship, if only one party, sorry, uh, gives up their freedom, we call that exploitation. So you might look at all this and say, okay, so what if one person just says, okay, um, well, I'll give up my freedom and somebody else just takes, takes, takes. We call that exploitation, right? privilege, oppression, so much uh, can come of that. I think uh, it's important for us to realize that when Paul talks about this, when Jesus talks about this, we understand the kind of God that asks us to, asks us to limit certain freedoms for our good. And I think Paul's point is, God is not the kind of God that just gives us a whole bunch of laws and says, you need to limit yourself, limit yourself, limit yourself, so that life is boring and you don't have any fun, and you don't get to do what you want to do. Rather, we see that God goes first, that God sent Jesus to give up his freedom, to be who he wanted to be, to do what he wanted to do, to give up his entire life to offer us freedom, freedom from our sin, freedom to intimacy, freedom to experience his spirit in our lives. When I was in seminary, I went to seminary, I was in the United States for a little while, I lived there, I was in Massachusetts, and I lived not far from the New Hampshire border. And so it wasn't uncommon for us to see uh, cars from New Hampshire come in. And it really struck me because on all the license plate for New Hampshire cars, they have their, their state slogan. And their state slogan is, live free or die. That just caught my attention. 
I was like, wow, that's a really interesting statement to have on all of your cars. Live free or die. They put it on in the 70s. I think in the 40s it became their state motto. And in the 70s, they changed it to put it on all their license plate. Before they had changed it, it used to say scenic. Hey, what do you think we should have people think about when they think about our state, New Hampshire? Scenic. Oh, yeah, that's really good. What do you think? Live free or die. And you go, maybe somebody should check in on New Hampshire. You guys doing okay? I'm sure there's a story there, and I'm sure there's multiple interpretations of what that looks like. But isn't that the cultural narrative for so many of us? Live free or die. It's all about my freedom and what I could do. New Hampshire says, live free or die. Jesus says, if you want to live free, you must die. You must give up yourself. You must give up the, the flesh. You must put the flesh to death, that, that selfishness that's all about me, and that's how I'll be free. But when you can put that to death and when you can accept the life of Christ, the freedom that comes from accepting that he gave up his freedom to give us everything and truly set us free to live according to our loving nature, the way that God always intended that we can, we can have complete union with him and that we can be a loving and caring society with others, then we are truly set free. Set free. Live free or die, it's up to you. Jesus calls us and says, if you want to live free, you must die. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent us your son, Jesus, who was willing to die for us, who was willing to give up his freedom in order to bring us true freedom. Today, I, I want to pray for anybody who's feeling uh, like they are in the shackles of sin, perhaps addiction, perhaps something that they can't break, perhaps it's an attitude, perhaps it's a problem in a relationship. I pray today that you would fill them with your forgiveness and your grace. I pray that you would give them your spirit of reconciliation that would help them uh, to courageously and powerfully work through whatever it is that might be shackling them. I pray, God, for, for the selfishness that all of us experience and all of us have somewhere inside of us. Lord, will you help us to put it to death as you put it to death in us, as we repent, as we claim your forgiveness that you have shown us so clearly in Jesus and that we would claim true freedom, life in you, life in your spirit that empowers us to, to be loved truly by you and to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Christ's name, amen.